everybody. Welcome back for Film Shake, the 90s movies podcast. I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And this is episode 25. We're here to talk about Nick's pick, which is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991. Yes, I'm so pumped to talk about this now 30-year-old movie. How is that possible? It's old, man. It's... It's getting there. I'll tell you what, if you watch the initial trailer for it, it looks old. But if you watch the initial trailer for 2018's Robin Hood, it looks (laughs) bad. And that's the movie you had to watch because you lost (laughs) trivia last time. Old versus bad. I'll take old any day. But yes, uh, speaking of that trailer, yes, I watched the trailer when the 2018 Robin Hood came out. And I thought, you know what? I'll never see this. This looks like utter trash. Why would I ever watch this? Why do you need a new Robin Hood? Why does it look modern, but they're using bows and arrows? So many questions. But I didn't want any of those questions answered. But you know what? They were answered, Nick, because you punished me with this damn movie. That's funny yes, because I... I actually wrote a list of questions to ask you about this oh, movie. Oh, no. Uh, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about this movie, Nick. I'm just... You're dead to me. Robin Hood is sullied forever in my mind. Like I can't go back now. There's no more Robin Hood. This movie killed it. It's so bad. You know how sometimes when you lose a trivia over and over and over again, I feel bad. So I'll watch the bad movie with you in solidarity. I watched the yes. trailer for this one and I did not watch this with you in solidarity. I almost turned the trailer off. <laughs> I, I literally almost turned this movie off like a hundred <laughs> times watching this. It's so bad, man. But you texted me and you were like, oh, I'm thinking about watching the Ro- the new Robin Hood with you. And I was like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's the literal worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, it's so man. bad. Well, in- instead uh, of a recap, do you just want me to go ahead and ask you these questions or do you want to recap this movie for me? Just go ahead and ask me the questions. <laughs> Oh, man, that bad. Okay, so here's my first question. Was Taron Edgerton so smooth, or did you want to punch him in the face? Um, He's he's not smooth. Uh, I never felt like I wanted to punch him in the face, but I don't know, man. Okay, so to answer your question, this movie opens up with narration. I'm thinking it's from Taron Edgerton who's narrating the film. I don't know if he's narrating it as Robin Hood, but he's also the narrator. I don't know how that works. Anyways, the movie opens up with him saying, forget everything you know about the legend of Robin Hood, because this is totally different. Get ready. And then it proceeds to copy most of the tropes of all the Robin Hoods. (laughs) (laughs) It copies Prince of Thieves, which we're about to talk about with uh, Morgan Freeman's character, the Arab, you know, who becomes his buddy. When this one, Jamie Foxx becomes his buddy, he's this Arab that he fights over in Arabia, comes back with him, and he, you know, becomes basically like the Morgan Freeman character of the Batman movies. (laughs) Because basically this is a Batman ripoff, you know, because they say forget everything you know about the legend of Robin Hood. Well, they do copy a lot of those tropes like the Morgan Freeman character, but then it basically turns into a Batman ripoff where Rob, 
They call him Rob. He's not Robin Hood. He's oh, dear Rob. Lord. They are freaking dressed like modern day soldiers in Afghanistan when they're over in, in Arabia. They have bows and arrows, but they're creeping around like Seal Six or something. <laughs> they're in this battle, like this dusty battle garb that looks like, you know, they're over in like fighting in the Middle East or something, which, you know, they're in Arabia, but still creeping around with like drawn bows and arrows, like like as if they're holding M16s or something. And then the Arabs have semi-automatic crossbows. <laughs> like, it's just dumb, man. It's just, it's really bad. So you said it kind of rips off Batman Morgan Freeman. So is Jamie Foxx making gadgets for this Robin Hood? If you consider, like, losing your hand and then, like, melting a iron pot, I guess, on the top of your nub, like, that's <laughs> one gadget that he comes up with. But he, oh, he does give him like the awesome bow and arrow and shows him how to shoot it the right way, which will like penetrate any surface. But the Batman thing is like, he's not just a vigilante who like steals from the rich and gives to the poor. He's also like a rich boy in disguise. So he's like in on it with like the bad guys with the sheriff played by Ben Mendelsohn, who's just losing his mind in this movie. Did he make you forget Alan Rickman? No, but he did make me remember Ben Middleton because he's he's worth watching, at least for how much he gets into this. He's just totally out of his gourd, but he's yelling stuff like, I'm going to boil you in your own piss. And I don't know, I guess he's trying to go for Rickman, but I don't know. It's just he's just gone off the deep end. Boil you in your own piss is pretty good. Oh, yeah. He, say, he, say, he says way more than that, but that's the one line that I didn't block out of my mind. What about those slick action scenes? Dude, they're the worst. <laughs> it's it's CGI hell. It just looks bad. Like I said, there's just like all these flips here and there in and out. And yeah, it's all like slick. And he's just shooting like 100 arrows at a time. Robin Hood men in tights on the cover. They have, is it Carrie Elwes? I always forget how to, pro- I don't know how to pronounce it. I like name. saying Carrie Ewes. Which Ooze, is definitely yeah. wrong. <laughs> Carrie Ooze is on the cover and he has like 16 arrows on his bow and it's like for parody. You know, it's supposed to be funny. Well, they literally do that in this movie where he's like shooting four arrows at a time and they all magically hit their mark in like four different dudes in four different locations. It's not good. I'm sorry. Don't waste buddy. your time. <laughs> you said last time, oh, it's not that long. It's under two hours. It's almost two hours. <laughs> It's an hour and 55 minutes, I think. It's the longest movie I've ever watched because it's the worst movie I've ever watched. It literally ends at one point. It ends. And then you would think it would end like a movie should end. But then the narration starts up again. He literally says, you might think that's the end, right? Wrong. And then it keeps going for another five minutes. It's the worst. Don't watch it. Well, he told you to forget everything you thought you knew about Robin Hood. I want to forget everything I saw in this movie, so let's move on. You know, I have to tell you, I am genuinely sorry I made you watch this. Whenever you were conveying the pain that it was causing you, I felt bad. I usually feel bad for beating you almost every single episode, but this time it hit close to home. It made me forget everything I thought I knew about beating you in trivia. It it just took all of the sweetness out of the victory. It was awful. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry I made you watch this movie. It's all right. You know, at one point, I was talking to my wife, Karis, and she suggested if I win trivia, I punish you with this movie, like, right back at you. (laughs) 
And I got really excited about that idea because, you know, wanted to punish you and make you feel the pain that I felt. But then I remembered our new rule or whatever we talked about last time where, you know, once I punish you with the movie, then you can't make me watch it and vice versa. Oh, it's so, your rule. You literally just made this rule in the last episode. I, hey, man, continuity. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with it. But I've got other plans for our trivia round this time. So, yeah, everyone stick around. We'll see what happens at the end of this show. Yes. All I know is this this is going to be a little different from our usual trivia. It's, it's inspired by this very movie we're about to talk about. That movie, of course, being one that's much better than the one we just talked about. It's 1991's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But is it that much better to you, Jordan? I know yet. You're not a big Kevin Costner fan. You didn't really grow up watching his movies the way that I did to where I just accept him as he is. What'd you think about this? Or or better yet, what's your early experience with this movie? I don't think you watched it when you were a kid. No, I never saw this somehow growing up. I don't know why. I mean, maybe I saw clips on TV, but I definitely saw Robin Hood Men in Tights, which it was hard not to see that movie as I was watching this this time. Like there's just so much lifted from this movie that I never got because <laughs> I'd never seen it. The witch character, the sheriff character. And then even at the end where Sean Connery comes in to kiss Maid Marian and like give her away to Robin as they're getting married. I mean, spoiler for <laughs> anybody who's never heard the the Robin Hood legend. But yeah, I had a hard time not picturing the Men in Tights version where uh, King Richard just makes out with Marion for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, this was a, a fun watch for the first time seeing this. It's yeah, I don't know how I'd never seen this. It, it was definitely a big 90s blind spot for me. So thank you for for curing that. You're welcome, because, you know, it was the second highest grossing film of 1991 behind only Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So it was kind of a big deal. And it was kind of a big deal for me, especially because I had a cousin who was a little older than me. And she and her friends would go see movies that I was probably a little too young to watch. But sometimes I could get in on watching them. But a lot of times I didn't want to because it usually starred people that they had crushes on, right, that they were gushing on and on about. And this movie was like double the action for them because it had Costner and it had the Slatester, Christian Slater. Oh, yeah. He was in this too. So they're all Wait, going nuts over it. Were they crushing on Costner though? Was that ever a thing for young girls? Oh, yeah, man. It, man. it was. So I, I watched all the Blu-ray extras for this, including the commercials. And you can really see how they nailed the advertising and getting everyone to go see this. Because you've got the commercials where uh, they say... A love story like no other. And, you know, there's all these smoldering shots of Costner. They show the shot where his body double taking in the bath, you know, out under the waterfall. But then the next commercial, it's they killed his father. Now he's out for vengeance. So yeah. they got everybody <laughs> with this. Yeah, because my my older cousin, Alicia, she she had the Kevin Costner crush. And then my younger cousin, who was just a couple years older than me, Jessica, she had the Christian Slater crush. So, you know, they Ooh. had all age groups covered there. 
and I got to piggyback off of them and watch this. And you were just crushing on Alec and Rickman the whole time, right? Exactly. And, you nailed and Michael Wincott. Yes, and Mort- Mortiana a little bit. Uh, just a uh, little well, bit. Well, yeah, you know, just I'll, a bit. I likes my witches. But yeah, there were a lot of <laughs> movies like that, Ghost being another one, which we'll definitely talk about that later, where the advertising for that, I thought, oh, I hate it. It's got that dirty dancing guy. And then Swayze, you know, he won me over pretty fast as he does let me ask you this were your cousins swooning at the costner butt shot oh well first let me say this whatever body double they got for costner did they try and match his lack of tan on his butt and legs because like his upper half is like completely tan his bottom half is ghost white (laughs) so it's like (laughs) is is that what costner's real butt looks like (laughs) yeah i watched this on blu-ray so it was the highest definition that man's butt will ever be and yeah yeah, you know you kind of had the farmer's tan butt going on there for sure for sure let's get into the plot here you want to open it up for us so this movie intentionally tried to do something a bit different from all the robin hoods that came before because this is a very old legend And even within cinema, there had been a million adaptations of this, so they tried to do something a little different. So we don't start in England. We start in the Middle East in a prison during the Crusades, which is where Robin has been locked up. A lot of stuff happens there. I'm not going to go into too much detail except to say he, he gets a sidekick named Azim, played by Morgan Freeman, who, can I just tell you this, is crazy. Morgan Freeman is in his 80s right now. He was in his 50s when he did this movie, running, jumping around, swinging a sword, riding horses. Really, in my opinion, he kind of makes this movie because I'm a Costner fan. I like Costner, but him meeting up with Azim, I watched so many DVD extras, man. I mean, Blu-ray extras. I watched all the commentaries. Their main goal with this movie was getting this Azim character to kind of make this other that people maybe would have been afraid of or not understood And finding some kind of understanding there. And I believe this movie actually got a lot of positive attention from the Islamic world at the time because it was like the only positive portrayal of an Islamic character in the early 90s. But also you're casting Morgan Freeman in your movie. So you're giving yourself points no matter if your movie is terrible. But that's it. He, He gets out of the prison in the Crusades with Morgan Freeman and he decides to go back home to England and meet up with his father. Unfortunately, his father has been murdered. Yeah, and we should say that Costner is the one that frees uh, Freeman's character, Azim, from the prison, and therefore Freeman follows him to pay the life debt. So he's like, I will follow you until I save your life, just like you saved mine. The best part of that being that it's only on Azim or Morgan Freeman's terms. He won't just save his life at any moment. It's basically when he feels like it. Which is the end of the movie, obviously. So he can be around the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to take care of yourself for the most part. (laughs) That's right. It's cold in England, man. Oh, yeah. You say that Freeman really makes this. And yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's more interesting with his character than just standalone Robin Hood. So I'll, I'll give that to you for sure. For me, it's hard to take Costner or Freeman super serious with the different accents they've got going on so that that was a barrier right from the beginning and there's been much said about Costner's lack of accent or attempt at an accent in this movie but yeah it it definitely sticks out in the beginning where it it sounds like he's trying to do a British accent at first and then he just kind of drops it after a few takes (laughs) 
which I remember even my cousins making fun of back in the day, but apparently he wanted to do an accent. The other Kevin, director Kevin Reynolds, did not want him to do one. And instead of them either having him do one or not do one, they just met in the middle, which is let's just let him do one sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bad idea. <laughs> kind of goes hand in hand with stuff that we talked about on Waterworld with Kevin Reynolds and Costner kind of fighting over creative control, where it seems like Costner's star power just kind of got in his way sometimes, right? Because he could just kind of get away with these goofy choices because he was so popular and you know made so much money and brought in the bucks and everything. But yeah, sometimes you just got to be told, no, man, <laughs> just get out of your own way. I would say Freeman's accent is not great either. It's it's definitely less laughable and he commits to it all the way. And it might have suffered from some of just the cliche dialogue his character had. But yeah, I was I was having a hard time taking him seriously at first too. Well, that makes me have to pull out this gigantic caveat. <laughs> I thought you were about to say gigantic like Sultan sword and chop <laughs> me down. That's the best sword in a movie in my opinion. For that sure. sword is deadly. That's an awesome sword. <laughs> I just view this as big dumb fun. I've even when I yeah. was a kid, I never took it overly seriously. Even there's some moments where the score by Michael Kamen is just so sweeping and awesome that oh, I do yeah. get swept up in the emotion of it. But overall, I just find this to be kind of dumb, swashbuckling fun. There are a lot of laughs throughout, all the way up until the end. Yeah, Rickman really ensures that you're going to be chuckling steadily on. We'll get For to him sure. in a sec. I say take seriously, not in that I'm trying to make this a serious movie, but just as in, I don't know, enjoyability. Oh, or no. it's just like, <laughs> no, I mean, I still enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy Morgan Freeman, but again, it's just kind of like, oh, that's a weird, goofy accent. Maybe it would have been more big, dumb, fun and, and enjoyable if they just hammed it up and just stuck with their American accents like all the way through without trying too hard, you know? That is a valid point. I think it was a valid point 30 years ago, and it's still a valid point. I mean, again, like, I can dismiss it because I I have a nostalgia factor figured in here, plus the way that I'm viewing the movie is is not seriously, but even on those terms, I agree. That's kind of tough to deal with. Even the slight stir, who we love, I watched the commentary that he talks on, and he's kind of like, what's this accent I'm talking in? <laughs> did you guys teach me to talk that way, or did I just do that on my own? He's doing the British thing, but yeah, it it's hard not to hear like the Slatester slip through, right? Just because, I don't know, he's just got that voice, you know? <laughs> he can't help it. Can't help it. But I felt like them making him the treacherous Will Scarlet, how dare they do that to my boy? <laughs> jokes that he's been in therapy since this movie because of where he had to take his headspace to play this character oh geez <laughs> because he's just kind of dressed in tatters on the edges of the frame glowering at costner for most of the movie <laughs> there's one point where he just kind of like sulkily runs away like a little boy <laughs> and i was like man that must have messed with slater <laughs> one of the like... times he does that he's got an arrow in his hand oh right right he's got the arrow in his hand that Costner put into it. He was apparently nominated for a Razzie for this movie for Worst Supporting Actor. Garbage. That's not, he's not that bad. That's rough, man. But Costner won it for Worst Actor, which <laughs> I won't argue with that. <laughs> I, I don't know what else came out in 91 that he was up against, but he's 
He still sucks, but he's not as bad as he was in Waterworld. I'll give him that. You just don't get it. You just don't no. get it, man. <laughs> he's he's not good. <laughs> he's he's not terrible, but he's not good. He's a presence either. You're either <laughs> into that presence or you're not. The feathery presence, for, <laughs> the feathery for sure. Presence. Uh. Well, just to explain, they get to England. Costner's father is dead. He's been killed by the dastardly sheriff of Nottingham, who's played by legend Alan Rickman, who I said Morgan Freeman makes this movie. I was lying. I like him. But Alan Rickman makes this movie. <laughs> oh, for sure. There's not a doubt that he makes this movie. He apparently improvised most of his lines because the original dialogue was so bland. He's like, I need to spice up this character. So all the crazy stuff that he says in this movie is from him or other collaborators that he brought in. It really does make this movie just who who doesn't love his line about, I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. <laughs> and then later, Michael Wincott is like, why not kill him with an axe? Why a spoon? Because it'll hurt more, you twit. <laughs> I mean, it's just so good. It's classic. They kept asking him to be in the movie again and again. The writers, Hendensham and John Watson, please, Alan Rickman, please, please, please. And finally said, you know what? I'll be in it, but I'm writing all my own dialogue and I'm doing whatever I want in every single scene I'm in. And they just said, fine, go ahead. Yeah, it's really something you have to see and behold, just like how much he puts himself there. Just the stuff that he does with his voice, but then his face too. And just, I don't know, he gets really guttural at times. It's kind of all over the place, but it's in the best way possible. And it's amazing. If you like some wild Alan Rickman eyes, his eyes are so wild (laughs) and free in this movie. They're going everywhere all the time. Oh, man. Especially there's a moment later on in the movie when he's trying to bribe Maid Marian into marrying him or he's going to kill these little kids. And he bends down next to this little girl and he's like, I've had a hard childhood. I've never knew my parents. Ask me about it sometimes. It's amazing I'm even sane. And then his <laughs> eyes get like super crazy big. <laughs> he just looks dead crazy at this girl. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and rather awesomely, I think just to make this more different and more kind of its weird thing, he has a witch sidekick named Mortiana. Mortiana, you know, I can't pronounce anyone's name in anything. <laughs> and she's played by Gerald Dean McEwen, who was more of a theater actress and man she hams it up so much in this it's great she has this disgusting disgusting freaky scary makeup on she's constantly doing things like spitting in a plate and cutting her fingers and hands open and rubbing the blood in the spit and throwing some animal bones on it and then giving rickman some advice and look i gotta ask you this man so my blu-ray was only the extended cut of the film which i hadn't even seen before i've seen the original cut a lot of times did you find out who Rickman's real mother was in the cut that you watched? I didn't. They didn't go into that. That must have been cut out. But I did read that it was supposed to be Mortiana, right? That, yes. That's his mother. I mean, you you kind of get that vibe throughout anyway. Or like, oh, is this crazy old witch's mother? Like, I had that thought in the back of my head. But speaking about her, I just wanted to bring up probably one of my favorite moments in the movie that I laughed out loud at. I think it's in the beginning. She opens up this egg and there's blood that comes out of it into the plate. And she's like trying to tell the future. And then she sees death in the plate. So she throws it across the room and her scream when she does that is so ridiculous and over the top where she's like, ah, and he's like, what, 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 what'd you see? 
I seen our death. <laughs> just like you said, she's hamming it up so bad, but it's so good. And she's having mysterious nightmares about a quote unquote painted man who yeah. I wonder who that's going to be. Mm. Mm. Well, Rick Rickman right away is like, oh, Luxley's Luxley's buddy or whatever. You know. so. <laughs> yes. And so this is explained a little more in the extended cut. And man, I hate to sound like a broken record. I'm really digging the original cuts of things we're watching more than the cuts that have been coming out on Blu-ray. You know, the extended cuts, not really director's cuts, but just cuts that are putting in footage that was probably removed for a reason. But I did Mm -hmm. like the detail that they've added in that not only is she his his mother, she killed the baby sheriff of Nottingham, the real (laughs) child, and put him, her bastard child in that baby's place. And then I'm guessing found some way to subtly kill his parents so that she could raise him all because right now, while most men are away fighting in the crusades, including the King, King Richard, she wants her seed to become the King. So she's having the sheriff of Nottingham, Rickman kind of off or find ways to take over the land or pacify the land of all the other barons so that he can become King. Also her grandson can eventually become the king. Her twisted seed, that's what she calls it. Twisted seed. Yeah, and that great voice she has. So she must have predicted the Crusades, predicted that King Richard would go away and leave Nottingham in in charge of everything, I guess. like I think she started the Crusades somehow. Blame her Morciana. Maybe. Maybe so. And since this is basically <laughs> historical drama, you know, pretty much right. ripped from the pages of history, I'm sure that's actually oh, yeah. what happened. <laughs> right. That's exactly in the <laughs> historical document, I'm sure. <laughs> this did have a lot of fun, uh, fun action scenes. I, I really like the montages. I don't want to skip too far ahead, though. Well, I can set all the rest of the movie up. All this horrible injustice is going on under the Sheriff of Nottingham so that he can bring all the power to himself. So what we end up with is all of the wealth and food and cool stuff going to him in his scary castle, while everyone outside the castle, all the peasants, are losing it. So Robin Hood unites with them to fight against the Sheriff in their headquarters of Sherwood Forest, which is also a neighborhood in Baton Rouge, where all the streets are named after Robin Hood figures. Pretty incredible. Yeah, he meets up with uh, Little John. They have that fight on top of the river, gets thrown in the river a couple of times. I really liked uh, the actor who played Little John. I didn't I didn't look up his name, but Nicholas Brimble, Nicholas Brimble. Well, yeah, he's got a great face, great set of hair and teeth and beard i don't know he just looks the part really well it looks like a crazy woodsman i really enjoyed his uh, charisma coming through the screen yes he's so good they said whenever they were casting that part which i thought was a little heightest but there are not that many giants who are great actors but nick brimble is 6'2 so we thought he was tall enough for the part which whatever i mean that's that's cool yeah he meets up with him and they fight and he earns Little John's respect because he tr- really he just tricks Little John. Little John really beats the crap out of Kevin Costner's Robin Hood for about a good 10 minutes before Kevin Costner knocks uh, Little John down in about two feet of water. Little John can't swim, but he's also not quite bright enough to realize that he could just stand up, which he's told after he gives in to Costner by saying, I can't swim, you win, help me, get me yeah. out of here. And he just tells him to stand up, which I liked. But he meets up with Lil John's band in the woods. The Merry Men is they're never called in this movie, but that's right. what they're called if you've <laughs> experienced any other Rob. Wait, wait. In 2018, are they called the Merry Men? There are no Merry Men. There's, There's no, no merriness in that movie. In that movie. <laughs> 
Remember, this this movie doesn't exist. Let's move on. Let's don't bring it back up. Start having PTSD. It's hilarious that when Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came out, a lot of kids around my age have great memories of watching it, even a few who are younger and a lot of families watching it. But at the time, it was considered so dark and too dark for kids and all. It's kind of funny thinking about that whenever like the most recent Robin Hood movie is basically like what a grim dark Robin Hood that's not fun at all. And this movie is really a blast, even if it is, you know, kind of violent, kind of dark, maybe a few morbid things, but it's a really fun movie. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, yeah, I was surprised at the amount of uh, violence, especially for the PG-13 rating. There's definitely some more overt, basically flat out attempted rape from uh, Rickman going after the Marion character. But yeah, overall, I wouldn't say it was dark or depressing like you see a lot of the older critics say from that time. It Yeah, it's it's pretty lively. It's fun. There's uh, the score, like you said, is amazing and really wistful. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say this was dark by any means compared to the Russell Crowe version or the Taron Edgerton versions which is just dark via terribleness. But anyway, <laughs> don't want to bring that movie back up again. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lively, fun 90s action film. And yeah, it's got more violence and gruesomeness and kind of the darker elements like the witch and stuff like that than I was expecting for Robin Hood. But I, I thought that actually made it a lot better. It was made it more interesting. Yeah, it's unique. It does its own thing. There's not really another movie like this. I know one of the ideas going into it that kind of helped get it sold was imagine Robin Hood, but like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then, of course, whenever Kevin Reynolds came on, he said, I don't want to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. Steven Spielberg already made that. But he adds his stamp on this movie. And man, look, okay, so he does a lot of weird stuff here. I mean, we get some really weird angles of Rickman throughout the movie. Oh, for sure. There's some really great shots in here. There's a shot where Robin and Azim are being chased. They're on horseback, and their horses jump over this wall, and one of the horses kicks a bit of the wall away, and when it crumbles down, there's a perfectly framed shot of all of the people chasing after them. Like back in the distance. Yeah, that was a really great shot. There's a lot of eye candy like that. I do wish if they come out with another Blu-ray that they kind of get a little higher quality on there. I thought the print of that wasn't the best, but that's not really a knock on this movie back in 1991. Production design is really great. The Sherwood Forest Village is awesome. All the rope bridges and huts. Like all that real world stuff, you know, similar aesthetic that we, well, I guess similar attention to detail that we got in Waterworld with the costumes and the sets all looking great. Same stuff here where you have just really earthy, really realistic portrayals of their village out in the forest with the rope bridges and then action scenes where they're all swinging from the ropes and the fire and everything, all everything just looking amazing in those moments. So Good stuff. Good design overall, I'd say. And zero CGI. They confirmed in the commentary they didn't use any CGI for any of this. On shots where now we would, without even a thought, they would use CGI. There's a scene where he gets back to England where there's a ship in the distance that his little boat sailed from. That would be CGI now. It was a cardboard cutout when they filmed this, and it looks fun. Dude, some of the horse scenes in the 2018 Robin Hood are CGI. Like, they didn't even get real horses for some of their shots. So, yeah, it's just all CGI. It's terrible. Yes, they they would not make this movie 
again like they did in 91. See, there are moments here where they use some cool practical effects. Like late in the movie, there's a hallway that looks like it goes on a great distance, and they use satin curtains that they place in the back to where it reflects, and it looks great. It really looks like it goes back. But now they wouldn't even do that simple satin curtain effect. They would totally just CGI a hallway that goes on forever. Oh, for sure. But hey, we mentioned Maid Mary in a minute ago. We should We should talk about her. She's yeah. not a huge departure from the Lady Marion that we know from other tellings of this tale. She kicks a little more butt. She does She does a little bit of fighting, but she's still mostly a damsel in distress. But I thought Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, whose name I always struggled to remember back in the day, when she was in The Abyss, which was one of my favorite movies at the time. Couldn't say her name then. I'm still struggling on her now. My apologies. But I mess everyone's name later. up. That's right. Still screwing it up. <laughs> I'm screwing everyone's name up. Kevin Costner, Morgan Costner. Freeman, all of them, they were good in this movie. And I thought Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was pretty good. Yeah, Christian Slatter was a good one. Yeah, the Slatster. She has such a great scream. There's a moment late in this film where she screams Robin, and I'm not going to imitate it. Yeah, I am. I'm just going to break my mic now. Do she it, goes, man. Robin! And it's insane. Yeah. It's the best scream that anyone's ever screamed the name Robin. I believe in history. <laughs> I, I did like her a lot as Marion. Like you said, she is mostly the damsel in distress. But there were some pretty romantic scenes that I felt like she carried. Obviously, Costner did not because he sucks <laughs> and I hate him. But, you know, he didn't get in the way as much as he did in Waterworld for me. Where, you know, they've got that great scene together where she's going back. Uh, she's leaving the Sherwood Forest Village and she's going back on the boat and there's the mist. And they're kind of looking earnestly into each other's eyes and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, She's she's good. She's great. You know, she she has a great presence on the screen for sure. Exudes a lot of intelligence and she's got she's yes. got a lot of attitude, which I liked even at the end of the movie when Rickman is really attempting to rape her. Uh, it's spousal rape. It's not really played. I don't know how to describe it. I, in the commentary, they said whenever they were making it, they had to stop and they had eight people in a room, eight studio executives in a room with the writers trying to discuss what the tone of the scene was going to be. What about when uh, Rickman is trying to get on top of her after he's forced her to marry him and she he like spreads her legs like they kind of like jolt open almost like a springboard that that was like a like a odd comedic touch did that did that seem comedic to you yeah well, there's a lot of comedic touches there's and master antonio really really sells them hugely like for instance whenever he's being so rough with her the witch runs over and lifts her head and then puts a pillow underneath it and then oh, she right. just turns her head to look at the witch and she just makes this, are you freaking kidding me face? <laughs> yeah, like it's what? So good. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so they somehow, some magic way, found a way to make this scene work. Yeah, it's not gruesome or hard to watch by any means. It it plays it lightheartedly, even though what's going on is not okay. Not It's a serious subject matter for sure, but... Rickman is so sleazy and so over the top that it's kind of hard to take him seriously. Like, you know that he's not going to get away with this. And then, you know, Costner busts in through the window a moment later and they have this hardcore sword fight where they're just chomping at all the furniture in the room. And, and sweating so much. Sweating hard and just breaking swords off of each other. It's yeah, it's it's pretty intense. I, I thought that was a highlight of the film for sure. 
Yeah, and that comes at the climax of a really great action scene. We kind of get double great action scenes. The first is whenever the sheriff attacks Robin Hood and his merry men in Sherwood Forest, and we get this gnarly scene where they're just shooting flaming arrows all up in these tree houses that they've built in the woods. Really, really great action scene. Some pretty awesome stunts. With the Celtic warriors. Don't forget them. Because <laughs> he mentioned, it's like a day before uh, the sheriff's like, oh, we'll get hired hands. The Celts will come in and help us defeat Robin Hood. And then it's like, this would have taken them at least, what, a week to travel? Oh, Jordan. In the extended edition, he goes to meet with the barons. This scene went on too long and really ruined the pacing, but it does explain. He goes to them and they're like, where's all our money? You said you were going to give us money and instead Robin Hood took it all and you're weak. And he's like, oh, weak am I? Take a look at this Celt. And then this Celt walks in, and they're like, he's big, but what can he do? And then the Celt lights his own arm on fire, and they're all just like, whoa. Wow. Cool, man. I wish they would have left that in. I want to see that. (laughs) It's a cool scene. I mean, the extended cut really stretches the movie out to like almost two hours and 50 minutes. And it's already a pretty loose movie. I don't think it ever drags in the original cut, but it's not like particularly tight and it's really really loose in this version so it's definitely fun to watch if you're a fan of the movie but i think my preferred cut probably is the original all that to say yes so that explains where the kilts come from how they got there we get that scene a bunch of the merry men including i think the most badass kid in any movie ever little johnson who it wolf wolf yeah he kills all kinds of the sheriff of nottingham's men in this battle but he gets captured and he gets brought in with the other merry men back to the sheriff's castle, which is a real freaking castle on the outside. They filmed all those exteriors at a real castle. Yeah, it looks legit. Yeah. And then all the interiors were on a set that looks awesome. But we get this second badass action scene where Robin Hood and those who are still free have to go save all the prisoners. It's supposed to be the wedding morning for the sheriff. Let's not skip over our scene with Slater. So Slater is captured as well as uh, the young boy Wolf, and he makes a deal with Rickman's character. If you let me go, I'll kill Robin Hood myself because, you know, he's got a grudge against him for for whatever reason. We, we're not sure, but we know that he hates Costner, probably because it is Ke- Kevin Costner playing Robin Hood. <laughs> He just but hates Costner on just, principle. Just hates him on principle. We find out when he goes back to the camp, Robin is still alive after the big action scene, and Slater confesses that he's his half-brother. His dad, after Costner's mother passed away, shacked up with a peasant woman, had Slater. Costner got mad, boohooed that he his dad was disrespecting his mother's memory. Slater got kicked to the curb. He was fatherless. That's what made him bitter at Robin Hood. But they have now amended things because Costner, in a heartfelt moment, says, I have a brother, <laughs> which was like <laughs> the probably second la- most laugh out loud moment for me in the movie. Just the way. And he's like awkwardly holding Christian Slater's face the whole time. He's like kind of squinching up those nice dimples and stubble in Slater's face. <laughs> he's just like, I have a brother. <laughs> Okay, two things about that. First of all, see, the thing you don't get about Costner is he's like the quiet, sensitive jock who rarely talks that all the ladies love instead of you. And when I say you, I mean you and I both. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you don't like him. You're going to double down on this? Yeah, you're... (laughs) 
I feel like you're just going to double down on your Costner defense just out of principle. You know he sucks. You know <laughs> no. that line rating is terrible. No. <laughs> it is. Just admit it, Nick. Look, you've got to watch the Slayster commentary with Morgan Freeman and with the two writers. For the first 40 minutes of the movie, he doesn't say a word after his introduction. Not a word. And then as soon as he comes on screen for the first time, he's like, you know how he sings a little song about Robin Hood right when Robin Hood comes into the woods and is about to get trapped about how dumb Robin Hood is? On that part, when he's singing the song, the writers say, who's that singing? (laughs) Slater starts, he just starts talking about himself like his voice lights up like it's me christian slater (laughs) he's like i don't really want to be here (laughs) i don't really want to talk about this he exudes (laughs) the best slater energy even to the point and this will be your favorite where they're they keep praising costner for doing his own stunts so slater just starts pointing out when he's sure it's not costner (laughs) it's like that's not him That's clear. The stunt double. He didn't really do that. Okay, well, I mean, it was him in the shot before, and he's like, he didn't fall down the waterfall. That wasn't him. There's no way he didn't. And they were like, okay, Slater, you're right. That wasn't him. And he's like, okay. (laughs) I I love Slater even more for putting down Costner. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell throughout that he kind of bristled at having to play second fiddle to this guy, but not... He should have been Robin Hood. Well, he talks at the end later where he says, you know what? He had the experience... And he was, Costner was an established filmmaker as well by this point. So a lot of his instincts on how to play scenes that Costner didn't trust were right. Now, whether or not Costner's performance in the scene was right or not is one thing or another. According to Jordan, they're wrong. According to me, they're it's always all right. All it's the all time. Wrong. Slater kind of gives Costner his due and says, you know, I wish I would have been a little more chill. But then at the same time, there are moments where he's like, I wish that I would have had more attitude and refused to do this part. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like I said, maybe Slater would have been better off in the Robin Hood role for me. I mean, obviously he would have been because Slater's awesome and Costner sucks. But what was interesting <laughs> to me is reading about how they offered this to Carrie Ills. Ills? <laughs> how do we say his name? So they they offered this to him and he thought it was too contrived of a plot. He wasn't interested. But then he went on to play Robin Hood and men in tights which i feel like he's a perfect robin hood in that parody but i also think he would have been the perfect robin hood in this movie too he actually can do the the british accent just exude the charisma he's got it all i mean he's just a good looking guy he's fit looking you know he's just perfect as robin hood and men in tights maybe then we wouldn't have had the awesome parody that we have for men in tights so Maybe it's best that he just went on to do that one, but it, maybe it would have been also fun to see a serious Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with Carrie Illis and then the parody with Men in Sights. So I don't know. I would be interested to see both versions. I, I like that actor way more than Costner, obviously. That's a thought for sure, but I think history happened the way that it was supposed to in this case. It was the Lord's plan, yes. (laughs) Oh, and that's a great reminder that we haven't talked about who really carries this movie, because I'm just going to keep bringing up different characters over and over again. No, it was really him who carried this movie. It was really Michael McShane as Friar Tuck who carried this film, because I really think he's awesome in this movie. Yeah, he's really great. It's really kind of a nuanced character. So he's a drunk whenever he gets caught. He's going through the woods, and they catch him, you know, thinking they're just going to rob him, but he ends up having a lot of tude and he has this really funny fight with uh 
good old Costner where does he ever kick Costner in the nuts in this part or does he just bite him and kick him in the face? I think he does kick him in the nuts, but he definitely bites him. He does. He's just a really feisty friar, but we find out he's actually very devout compared to the sheriff of Nottingham's priest who's stealing money and living in opulence and taking from the poor. Whereas this guy, he might be a drunk, but he's very devout. And he also, he has all these issues with Azim because... Of course, he's a different religion from him, and there's this whole subplot about how he becomes more tolerant and kind of has a friendship with Azim, which I thought was cool. And he also gets a ton of great lines, my favorite being where he finally gets bested by Costner's crew, and he's not really willing, but he kind of says the Lord works in mysterious ways, and maybe God is trying to teach him humility, and Kevin Costner who I'm just going to call Robin Hood Kevin Costner now, because now you've <laughs> yes. just ruined it. He's just Costner. No. The illusion no, has I mean, been that's broken. that's what we always do. That's what we always do. We call the stars by their actor name. We call everybody else we don't know by their character name. That's so right. Just go with it. <laughs> so Costner tells Friar Tuck, you won't regret this. And then Friar Tuck says, I'm a you, mate! And then he joins the band, and Costner doesn't regret it, because he really turns out to be quite useful. I love how Friar Tuck's sermons to the other peasants are, like, all about how to make beer. (laughs) That's at least half of his messages. Let us give praise to our maker and glory to his bounty by learning about beer. For sure. But yeah, he, he's definitely more devout. He's definitely more a man of integrity than the evil bishop we have on the sheriff's side. I actually learned a word reading the Wikipedia page for this movie. Was it defenestration? It's defenestration. That's right. <laughs> which is to throw someone for a, from a window, which is what Friar Tuck does. He loads them down with the bags of gold and then he gives them the 30 pieces of silver, right? Which is like a callback to Jesus and Judas. And then he defenestrates the bishop, throwing him from the window, which was pretty awesome. Yes, and I think he tells him to enjoy his 30 pieces of silver in hell. In hell! That's right. Yeah, he's a pretty badass Friar Tuck. I I did like him a lot. He really is, and I don't know if you'll agree, but I thought that whole last action scene leading up to the sword fight at the end was badass. We get that awesome money shot of Costner shooting the flaming arrow, and all these great Shots that Kevin Reynolds concocted to make shooting an arrow look as cool as possible. Everyone gets saved. Oh, yeah, they're blowing up. That's, again, a 90s thing. They're blowing up these big barrels of gunpowder, right? And just giant explosions. You got to have some explosions, even if you're in the medieval times. That's right, because Azim is from the Middle East. And, I mean, gunpowder and guns probably came from there, right? So he probably knows how to make gunpowder. So he probably knows how to make bombs. If not, then they're writing it in. Why not? (laughs) Yes. So this really, really, in my opinion, just drives right down film shape street right here because yes there are explosions for some reason in this final action scene and they're awesome and why not they're great and then we get the really high tension scene where everyone's about to be hung and robin hood and azim have to act fast and then there's explosions and then the badass kid he's getting hung and then costner shoots the the arrow and it just nicks part of the rope and the kid's still hanging and then he shoots again and shoots the kid down and the kid falls down and then the guy next to him this old man who was defending him earlier saying be gentle on him he's just a kid he runs over and grabs the old guy's legs and is holding him up so he doesn't die when he gets hung like this kid's just always doing something awesome i have so much respect for wolf 
He's the best character in the movie. He really carries the movie. And uh, <laughs> he carries the movie, just like the Bishop and Freeman right. and Alan Rickman. And uh, I can't even joke about Costner. Come on. But he no, carries that... the movie. And then he no. literally carries this guy that he saves from getting hung for, I think, Friar Tuck football tackles the, the row of nooses and knocks the whole thing down. No, it was uh, Little John, I think. Oh, he Little John. It, yeah, he pushes down the, the gallows. Yes, you're right, because everyone has to get a badass moment, and that's one of his. I, I tried right. to steal that one for Friar Tuck, but I mean, he gets to throw the other guy out the window. So That was a great moment. I agree. That was very engaging, really tense, like you said, where they're being hung, and you're like, wait a minute. How are all these people going to survive? So, yeah, really fun. Really fun. Great score. Scene gave me chills when I was a kid. It doesn't give me chills now, but I enjoy it a lot. I got some chills just from the score alone. Yeah, I thought the score was pretty magical. It's incredible. And I, I always tell La La Land, which is a soundtrack company that makes awesome soundtracks of movies, especially 90s ones. They didn't have one for this, but Entrada had a four-disc set, and I was all over that, man. I got it. It's so nice. good. If you like Michael Kamen's score for this, it's actually in stock on their website, and it's great. It's got every single second of music from this movie, I believe. I don't think anything is missing in this edition. I mean, it's four discs, so how could yeah. anything be missing? Great score. And he did the music for Die Hard, too, so if you dug that, you'll probably dig this. It's like that, but medieval. He actually got a lot of old medieval music that had been discovered and he used it for this movie he used a lot of the scales from that so pretty Ooh. even uh all even the big song the brian adams song that i, I hated brian adams back then so much i hated please forgive me i hated summer 69 and everyone was like you suck nick you don't like <laughs> brian adams just how you suck because you don't like kevin costner well that's right i feel like brian adams is the musical equivalent of kevin costner uh, but but i digress uh yeah great score oh and yeah die hard and michael kamen and robin hood we got the alan rickman connection there so that's interesting that's right well anything else you want to talk about towards the end of this film to wrap it up yes we get this awesome sword fight like we talked about how it's really 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 intense and then it it ends and of course robin hood it prevails but that's not really the end of the scene we get the greatest sword throw of all time. And I tell you what, Mordiana really makes the movie right here. She really carries, <laughs> she carries the film. She carries the film, for sure. <laughs> because she runs in. We think that Azim has killed her earlier. And really, the geography of the film makes no sense at no this sense. point. No sense. Like, how is she in this room? I Yeah. Like, didn't we see her get thrown out a window? I don't remember. But <laughs> And he was locked out, and that door never gets open. But somehow, yeah. they're both in the room now. It carries the film. It carries the film, this lack of geography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. The lack of geography is really the unsung star of the show. That's right. But she comes running in screaming and being really grotesque now because she's almost dead. But she somehow summoned the strength to ruin the big kiss at the end of the movie. We're all startled. At least I'm startled. It got me probably the first 20 times I saw it. I jumped. She comes running straight at the frame. And then, of course, Morgan Freeman, who carries this film, he picks up his awesome Simtar sword and chucks it at her as hard as he can and hits her right in the chest and she flies back a thousand feet boom <laughs> in scene badass that room was literally a thousand feet <laughs> the best part is when they built that set which looks incredible they didn't take into account the height that it takes to raise a sword in the air so they had to tear the roof down and build it again because it wasn't high enough that's nuts yes. yeah that that was the best sword throw on film, like you said. And it's the Sultan sword that he brought back from 
Jerusalem. So it's awesome. It's really great. Uh, for some reason there, when we were talking about the sword throw at first, I was picturing her throwing the sword at Costner, but <laughs> maybe that's just like a Freudian thing. I don't know. I just, I just wanted you her just to want him to die. I just want him to die. <laughs> you bastard. Ugh. Uh Anyway, we can get over my Costner hate and never watch another one of his movies for this podcast. (laughs) I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's not going to happen. There's at least three other ones that I want to watch. Oh, man. He's not as core a component in in one of them, but in the other two he is. (laughs) He must be defenestrated. (laughs) Well, look, there's a reason I picked this movie. And it's not just because I wanted to see if I still enjoyed it as much as I did when I was a kid, or because I needed an excuse to buy the Michael Kamen score, or because I just wanted to force you to watch more Costner. It's because I always forget to make a movie connection, which is a major component of our show. How do we connect the previous movie with the movie we're currently covering? Major component. (laughs) That's right. It really carries our show. It does. It's it's really the unsung star of the show. That's why people listen to us. How do I connect Airheads and Robin Hood? How do we get there? How do we get there, man? I picked the easiest connection possible. Our previous movie was Waterworld, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring Kevin Costner. This is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring Kevin Costner. It's basically the same movie. They're basically the same. One's on water, one's in a forest, but that's all you really need to know. Boom. I did it. I connected a movie. Star ratings, what did you give this out of your 10 scale? Out of my 10 scale, which is far superior to your 5 scale. I disagree, but we always (laughs) disagree. What did you give it? I give it a 7 out of 10. I probably would have given this an 8 out of 10 back when it came out when I was like 10, but Mm -hmm. I can see the ridiculousness of certain things, which are a lot of the things in the movie, but it's so fun. It's such an enjoyable movie. I really dig it. I mean, obviously, I watched it four times for this, twice without the commentaries and then two other times with the two included commentaries and guess what jordan there's a kevin reynolds kevin costner commentary they're actually still friends dude it's so weird listening to them talk that's gotta be weird it is because they obviously they both respect the hell out of each other and they're just non-stop complimenting each other you can tell they really admire each other's strengths they're just trying to make up for all the bad blood throughout the years that's all well you can also tell how they annoy each other uh, right yeah because in the commentary costner talks way more than he does in the actual movie and reynolds is kind of <laughs> sitting back and a lot of times he, kevin costner's like geeking out like kevin this is an incredible shot what kind of lens did you use and kevin reynolds is just like uh i don't remember buddy i don't know <laughs> well that's really interesting because reading about the post-production of this film it sounds like they just kind of locked Kevin Reynolds out and Costner took over just like he did in Waterworld or the studio in Costner. But they cut back on a lot of Alan Rickman scenes because he was stealing the show and tried to highlight Costner more. And I mean, there was no debalding of Costner in this one, like <laughs> like in Waterworld. But yeah, it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like Kevin Reynolds uh, got the shaft like he did later on. And he basically quit the project like right before they went to premiere and he didn't go to the premiere. So that's interesting that he'd come back and he did make the movie. But yeah, it's interesting that they're still talking to each other after all those years and all those fights. They're still working together. They did like a, a mini series together They're uh, Yeah, man. They, they still got a, a working relationship, even after all this stuff. Well, I'm right there with you with the star rating. Uh, I gave it a three and a half out of five on my scale. I liked it more than Waterworld. You know, I gave Waterworld a three. 
but Costner didn't get in the way so much for me here. And just a lot of fun, like you said, just Rickman just hamming it up really sells it to the great action scenes, the great set designs and costumes and got the slatester in there and just everything. Yeah, a lot of stuff was working for me. So wouldn't say it was close to a, a four or an eight got its problems, but yeah. All in all, really enjoyable. Definitely a lot better than the critics uh, gave it credit for. You know, like Roger Ebert, I think, gave it a two-star rating and said it had its moments, but it was a big mess. But I don't really, like you said, it's a looser film. It's not tightly knit, but I wouldn't say it's poorly paced either. I'd say it, it goes along at a nice clip and there's a lot of stuff going on in it, but it's never boring. It's it's always entertaining. It's definitely got Rickman sprinkled in there enough to give you those laugh out loud moments. So yeah, that's it's really enjoyable. That kind of reminds me of two points that we've talked about before. The first being that if these critics had just seen the future of cinema, if you showed them the 2018 Robin Hood, the oh. awful one that you had to watch after they watched this, they would say, oh, wait, what the hell? Why do we say that the Prince of Thieves was bad? It's so much better than this. We didn't know movies could be this bad, right? Well, yeah, watching that movie just instantaneously makes anything better, but especially comparing it to another Robin Hood movie, I was just like, oh, damn, yeah. Give Robin Hood Prince of Thieves 10 out of 10, why don't you? (laughs) And the other is just that, I mean, time has really shown people are still very fond of this movie, and not just for nostalgia reasons, it's just really enjoyable to watch. And I think this is another akin to Waterworld, where I think... A lot of the negative reviews kind of just miss the point. Just It's dumb fun. Just sit back and enjoy it. They, it has its merits or production. Values are insane. Um, And they didn't. They said two stars. I love Roger Ebert. We were just on a show that focused on Roger Ebert's greatest movies list. Roger's list, which was a lot of fun where we talked about Day for Night. But That's right. I think Ebert missed the point here. He should have just had a good time. Just let loose. But then you'd argue a lot of critics are that way now where you have like just these kind of dumb action movies that come out and they get terrible reviews. But I would argue at the same time, they're just not of the same caliber. I feel like you look back on the 90s, you have a lot of those big, dumb, big budget, blockbuster, ridiculous, cheesy, hammy action films. But they were just so much better back in the day. Yeah, they had their problems here and there, but they're far superior than a lot of stuff that's coming out nowadays. I actually agree with you 100%. And I I say I actually, it's duh that I agree with you. I mean, we chose to do this theme for the show because I feel that way. Because really with movies like this, now there's a studio formula that it feels like everything is following, right? So if it's bad, it's the same formula. If it's good, it just worked the formula right. I mean, even all of the Marvel movies, including the good ones, for the most part, they're all just working kind of the same formula. Whereas in the 90s, there's some really bad movies that really the studio probably should have maybe given a little more oversight to. But then you've got other stuff where even if they were involved, things are just looser. There's not such a blueprint that's being stuck to so so strictly. So right. it's just a little more fun. It's a little wilder and looser and different. The movies yeah. set themselves apart a lot better than kind of the gray tone, pre-chosen color scheme stuff that we unfortunately have gotten more of in the 21st century. Yeah, even the bad movies in the 90s were just interesting at the same time, like you said, because there was more freedom there. But speaking of formula, we typically have our trivia battle at the end of the show. 
and follow a certain format. But uh, I think we're going to do something a little different here. I didn't have time to make my trivia question, so I, I needed to bring a stand in for me to help me out. So I've got a dubious fellow here that he's a fierce competitor. I think you'll be in over your head here, Nick. Let's let's give it up for the sheriff of film shaking ham. Oh, crap. Hold it. Pop quiz, hot shot. Sheriff, are you there? I am the sheriff of Film Shagam, and I challenge you to a duel. Oh, crap. Okay, hang on. Let me go get Robin Hood to answer the questions for whatever this duel is going to be. Hang on. Hello? Hey, uh, this is uh, this is Robin Hood. How are you? Loxley. How dare you disgrace this film Shigeham with your dastardly presence. I said I challenge you to a duel. Should you fail, I will personally cut out your lying tongue. Do you accept my challenge, Lockley? Well, I did get a new accent, Coach, and he's pretty good, I think. Um, So I think I'm ready for this battle. I do think that I am, and I'm. let's do the battle now. Let's do this. <laughs> Question number one. What? was Mary Elizabeth Maristriano Tianiano's <laughs> debut role. So there's not any options? You're not going to give me anything? That is for pansies, sir. Multiple choices for cowards. Uh, all right. That's not cool. S- Scarface? Wrong! The king of comedy, as an extra... In a crowd scene. (laughs) That was her debut role. Well, I'm not going to do things the way that you do. I'm going to give you options. But unfortunately, I'm Kevin Costner. So I couldn't think of the best options. Your first question. Alan Rickman's final film was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Alice Through the Looking Glass, Mace Me, or Donk Cephas Hard. Well, I know the answer, my friend, because I am Alan Rickman. It was Alice in the Looking Glass. You twit! That is correct. You did a really great job there at Of course! That. Next question. Question number two. Nick's favorite character in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is the Executioner. Of course. What an imbecile. Who played him? Give me his name now. Again, so you're not going to give me any choices there, right? I thought went over this already. So I watched the commentary, and Christian Slater said that the guy spit on his face, and he was really taking it seriously most of the time, way too seriously, to where he was really hitting them, and really they all thought they were going to die when they were filming the scene. But I don't know his name. I think that his name is... I'm just going to guess Will Willington. Wrong! Richard Strange was his name. He was also Goon in Batman. What a strange-looking man he was. 
Very apt last name. All right, here's your second question. Alan Rickman starred the year before Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with Tom Selleck in the Australian Western romp. A. Quigley Down Under. B. Riding with the Buckaroos. C. Boomerang Buckaroos. D. Six Shooting Sheilas. Oh, it's been many drugs and many, many moments between these films I'm trying to recollect. Let me just uh, pull out my Google machine here real quick. I mean, uh, let me just uh, knock on my noggin. Uh, I believe it was quickly down under. Wow, you really beat me there really badly. I can't believe that you beat me so bad. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, of course I did. <laughs> you moron. <laughs> Next question. I think that it's over. I, I think, oh. I think uh, that I lost. I had so many questions. For you. <laughs> uh, wait, let me let me ask you this one more. Just one more. For pity's sake, I'll give you another chance. All right, I think All that right. I'm good if you ask me one more question. Michael Kamen scored Prince of Thieves. He also scored for Lethal Weapon. But which Lethal Weapon film did he not? score one two three or four um i'm just gonna go on a limb here and i'm gonna say that he didn't score four wrong trick question you twit he scored them all (laughs) you're so evil you lose how could you do this to me i'm gonna bring back the other co-host now because i can't stand another moment talking to such morons goodbye (laughs) Sheriff of Film Shakeham, out. <laughs> Mic drop. That was incredible, but I think I'm also going to go back to normal because sometimes my voice breaks into this accent, which actually kind of strangely sounds Australian for some reason and not really British, but it kind of stays normal the rest of the time, and that's disconcerting. So I'm going to go back to myself. Goodbye, Kevin Costner. Oh, hey, uh, all right. Hey, this is Jordan. I'm back. Uh, thank you so much, Sheriff of Film Shakeham, for coming in and giving us that trivia round to best my co-host here. And I will take that win for myself. Yes, I am the now trivia champion. <laughs> Man, the sheriff of Film Shakeham kicked my ass. That was totally not the way things usually go here. A very honest defeat, I'm sure. No foul play involved at all. I'm kind of bummed he beat me that badly because my last question was, in 2002, Alan Rickman guest starred on the animated sitcom King of the Hill as this character, A, King Philip, B, Alan Rickman, C, Ping Killip, D, Rallin Ickman. Ah, that would have been a tough one. (laughs) I didn't realize that Alan Rickman had played Ronald Reagan as well (laughs) in uh, The Butler. Who didn't uh, he play? But the uh, film, film uh, Sheriff Film Shakeham seemed to have a good handle on uh, Rickman's filmography somehow. So <laughs> I hope he never shows up again. <laughs> zombie Alec Alan Rickman <laughs> slash zombie sheriff. Well, no, the sheriff of Nottingham may have died. The sheriff of Film Shakeham appears to be alive and well. I believe it's Film Shakingham. Film Shakingham. Gotcha. Film Shakingham. That's right. I see. That, I see. He he spelled it for me as he was walking out, but. Either way, uh, you lose at trivia, so I will punish you with a certain film. But first, let me tell you about my pick for next time, because they go hand in hand. So Okay, right on. 
We've gone big for a while now. It's time to go smaller with a cult classic, a favorite of mine, which I believe that you have not seen because you were too cool for school back in the day when we all loved it. And you were like, oh, whatever, whatever, Jordan, and your friends, your skater friends, you, you punk kids. I'm not watching this. And that would be the cult classic from 1998, SLC Punk. We're going Ooh, punk, baby. Nice. Yeah, I never, I held to that too, man. I never watched it. So this is exciting. Good, good deal. Well, I am looking forward to revisiting this. I am not looking forward to and not interested in the sequel <laughs> to <What>? SLC Punk. <laughs> they which made a is, sequel to that? Which is called Punk's Dead SLC Punk 2 from 2016. <laughs> what? This, my Punk's friend, is dead? your punish. This is your punishment for losing so poorly. But you know what is wild about it? It's by the same director. It's by the same writer, and somehow it has a character in this film that died in the first film. But I don't believe it is a prequel or like you know jump back in time or anything. I. I don't know. Maybe maybe they do a flashback, but either way, it does have Devin Sawa, who was in the first film, <laughs> and he is in the 2016 sequel as well. So, wow! According yeah. to the plot, set 19 years after the events of the first film, the movie deals with unresolved conflict and family strain, and also has elements of a coming of age story. Michael Gorjan reprises his role of heroin Bob, acting as a narrator for the film, both in voiceover as well as sporadically intercut scenes of him in the afterlife. Damn, this is high concept. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> well, that kind of spoils a little bit of the first film for you, but uh, that's way more than the IMDb synopsis gave me, which is a young punk's odyssey. <laughs> that's all they tell you. <laughs> well, the the poster is a silhouette of a punk's head over the top of a car driving through the desert. So that makes sense. And this is only five years old. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. man. Well, hey, man. Really... It's only an hour and 15 minutes. So <laughs> I give you that. I give you that. <laughs> so I'm really rethinking allowing the sheriff of film shaking ham to partake in trivia just now and allowing you his slippy accent <laughs> allowing you how dare oh he's coming back he's, no, he's getting no, mad man no, better not no. talk smack about his win that was legit we can never cover another rickman movie because i'm gonna get destroyed in trivia if we do i mean oh, of course you would but either way i i don't know i mean i'll see how i feel after i watch the first film Maybe I'll I'll want to join you in your misery and watch the sequel, but <laughs> have fun with that. It's got a four out of ten on IMDb, so that tells you anything. I, I read a review that said they were trying to recapture lightning in a bottle while standing in a half empty kiddie pool. <laughs> so oh, that's it. That's a diss. That is quite a diss. At least I have the first one to look forward to because I really was too cool for school. For you guys, when y'all were into this movie, I thought this is just something young, immature kids like, not me. I'm a, 
I'm a grown man and I don't like stuff like that. I'm gonna go watch this this uh, Godard movie while they watch this slop. Because yeah, that was that was when I was getting my film minor. Whenever you guys were in this movie, so I was way way too good to watch this. But now I'm excited to watch it. I I might hate it. It might suck, but I'm looking forward to watching it. I think you said they say anti disestablishmentarianism in this movie, or it's written on a wall or something. It's written on the side of their van. And you remember me mentioning that to you? That's wild. Yeah. Well, it's got Matthew Lillard. If if that does anything for you, I love Matthew. Lillard, yeah, I, so I love. Ma- he's he's great in this. He's got the blue hair. Uh, Michael Gorjan, like you said, uh, heroin Bob. I mean, just to have a character named heroin Bob, you you got gold right there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's set in the early 1980s. Stevo played by Matthew Lillard and Heroin Bob, are the only two dedicated punks in their conservative Salt Lake City. So, yeah, just a lot of great, like, little characters that you meet throughout their uh, journey in Salt Lake City. You got the Devin Soya character. You got Jason Siegel who's in here. It's good. I am hoping that it holds up and that I enjoy this as much as I did back in the day, but... We shall see. We shall talk about it on the next episode. We will. And it's got an exclamation point at the end of the title, apparently, if you're looking for it. Right. SLC Punk exclamation point. You should be able to rent it on Amazon or YouTube. If you want to go that route, find it at your local public library, possibly bootleg it. Just time travel to 1998 and grab a VHS copy off of the Blockbuster shelf. Whatever you need to do to get there and come back and join us for next time. SLC Punk. Yeah, do what you got to do. We're going punk next episode, so anything goes. Anything goes. That's right. Yeah, down with the man, anti-disestablishmentarianism yeah, steal all this the way. movie from your rich banker neighbor. That's right, because I'm sure he's got it. <laughs> He'd be the one guy. Oh, you know you know who's in this? Uh, Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. What's that actor's name? He plays the dad. Uh, it's, Christopher uh, something Chris, McDonald. Yeah, Christopher McDonald. He he's he's great in this. I, I love it. He would he would be the rich banker dude you'd steal this movie from. <laughs> but all right, yeah, that is our show. Thank you guys for listening. Check us out on all the apps where you get your podcasts. If you need to subscribe to us, still, yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your stuff. Go find us, subscribe, give us a rating if you like. If you need to contact us, you can email us at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your recommendations for what 90s movie you want us to cover next. Any suggestions or comments about the show, we'd appreciate hearing some feedback. Yeah, this is it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy. Multiple choice. Fill in the blank, Loxley. Wait, so... So there's not like, uh... There's... <laughs> Shit. <laughs>